2,000 years ago, there was a great Torah academy led by rabbis Shemaya and Avtalion. They were of the original pairs of rabbis who would debate and legislate the most sacred laws reflecting the most hallowed values conveyed by the treasured teachings of the Torah. The academy was well known far and wide as being a center of Jewish thought and practice. At the time, there was a boy from a poor family named Hillel. His parents couldn't afford to send him to the great academy, but that didn't deter him. He tried at first to enter through the door, but the guards denied him access because he couldn't pay the fee. So he went around to the side of the study hall, climbed onto the roof to take in the lessons from the skylight above. He did this day in and day out. Mishnah tells us that one cold and snowy Shabbat, Shemaya and Avtalion discovered him there on the roof, slumped over, having nearly frozen to death. They and their students saved his life, and from that point onward, the leaders decided to allow him inside because he had proven how desperately he had wanted to study. And you know what? That is the boy who would become the great Rabbi Hillel who founded his own academy, won nearly all of the Talmudic disagreements he had with his study partner, Rabbi Shammai, and whose name we still elevate today on college campuses everywhere. Sometimes you just need a shot, an open door literally in this case, a chance, an opportunity to fulfill the greatness that you have inside. Have you ever wanted to do something that you were told you couldn't do just because, like Hillel, you couldn't afford it? Or you were told you couldn't do it because of who you were, say because of your gender or sexual orientation, where you lived, your race, or your age? I experienced this feeling early on in my life. You know, I didn't always want to be a rabbi. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a baseball player for the Los Angeles Dodgers. I was in Little League and even made the all-star team playing my favorite position, first base. I was naturally suited for the job. I had a long reach to field balls. I had a mind for the game and I was a lefty. I still am a lefty. I practiced every chance I got. I learned the techniques, the strategies and developed quick reflexes. But by fourth grade, I noticed something. The boys had their own league fast pitch like the big leagues, and the girls had our own league, softball. And letting girls play in the boys' league just wasn't allowed. Despite my challenge of the rules and aspirations to play, it just wasn't done. That was it. I lost that effort very hurt that not only would I not be the first woman in the major leagues, but I would also not even be given the chance to prove myself. The door was closed and locked. But that was just another way society had limited me based on arbitrary notions of who I was and what someone like me should be allowed to do. How many dreams die because a door is closed on a person before they're ever allowed the chance to prove themselves? And not only is it a major disappointment for the person who isn't given a chance, but it's also a tragedy for society because society will have missed out 
on everyone who could have contributed to the field. Not that I could have made a significant contribution to Major League Baseball, but we'll never know about others who weren't allowed to fulfill their calling in many areas of their life. We do, however, know about those who almost missed their chance to contribute to civilization like Rabbi Hillel. For example, another rabbi named Akiva, who initially didn't have the finances or societal standing, but was eventually allowed to begin his studies at age 40. Within 24 years of his late start, he amassed 24,000 pairs of disciples. But isn't it sad that we will never know the true impact Rabbi Akiva could have inspired had he been allowed to study from the time he was 20 rather than from the time he was 40? How much further could Judaism have gone with that benefit? When people are given their shot to fulfill the best of themselves, everyone benefits. For example, if you've seen the movie Hidden Figures, you would know that if segregation had kept Katherine Johnson from the field of advanced mathematics, then astronaut John Glenn might have never made it back from his flight on the Friendship 7 Mercury spacecraft. The great advancement of spaceflight might not ever have occurred. We are all better when those around us flourish, and we are all held back when others are held back from pursuing their dreams. That's why it's important for each of us to consider how we're pushing to open those closed doors, preventing us from our dreams, but also to think about how we might open up the door for others to pursue theirs. Perhaps this is why there's a great lauding of the quality of opening doors for others in Jewish texts. For example, the Babylonian Talmud detailed what made all of the great rabbis so wonderful, and the text specifically praises Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai who opened the door for his students. I can just see his smiling face at the entrance, warmly welcoming in each person to the table, affirming their sense of belonging in Jewish life. And I also understand the deeper and more global idea that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai opened doors as he opened the door to the Judaism that we practice today. This happened when the Romans overtook that Temple Mount and literally and figuratively closed the door on Jewish ritual worship in the Holy Temple. It was Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai and his disciples who miraculously found a new way to open a new door to worship and study in a city 40 miles west of Jerusalem called Yavne. There, he and his students adapted, adjusted, and innovated, and in doing so, preserved the core values and wisdom and teachings of the Jewish way of life. When one door closed, he was responsible for opening another, and that, in turn, opened the door for others to pass through, and here we are today, 2,000 years later. This year, 5782, marks the 50th Jubilee anniversary of another door opening for scores of people to walk through. This is the 50th anniversary of the public ordination of the first woman rabbi in America, Rabbi Sally Presand. Rabbi Sally Presand is a modern day Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai in that she opened doors for herself and others, when many were told dismissively how cute it was that a girl would want to be a rabbi. Her parents affirmed her interest when she was just 16 years old back in 1962. 
They were intellectuals and supported curiosity and academic rigor and respected free thought. That served Rabbi Presand well because it would take a series of conversations with uncertain gatekeepers, exemplary academic performance, and a series of letters from 1963 to 1968 for her to find a way to open the door to the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion's rabbinical program. Though she had been studying at the school already for five years, she was finally officially granted admission to the rabbinical program in 1968, and another four years later, on June 3rd, 1972, she was momentously, publicly ordained. When she crossed the bima, all 30 of her male classmates rose for a standing ovation the moment after the pronunciation of her status as a rabbi. Why were they standing? I'm sure they each had their own reason. But certainly, whenever someone is allowed to fulfill their purpose in life, it's a moment for all of us to celebrate. True to her character, she walked across that sacred bima and turned around and opened the door for a thousand other women who would be allowed the opportunity to be ordained rabbi after her. She did this by intentionally taking on positions in congregations to model congregational leadership. She did this by continually speaking with news outlet after news outlet, community after community, decision-making body after decision-making body, body, and countless individuals who sought to learn more about the benefits of women in the rabbinate. The sages ask, how are ears like doors? Both can be opened and shut at will. Rabbi Prezand found ways to open doors and open ears and open hearts. Rabbi Sally Prezand continues to help nurture and celebrate women's leadership at every turn. In fact, the first time I met her was at my own ordination 13 years ago. We have this beautiful photo of her celebrating me and my classmates on our big day. She is our own Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, the one who opened and continues to open doors to the benefit of the Jewish people. She knows that when one of us rises, all of us rise. Feminist scholar of Hebrew literature and woman ordained this year as an Orthodox rabbi, Wendy Zierler, observed that ordaining women as rabbis is more significant than just a case of add women and stir. It's a paradigm shift. It clears the way for those coming up to have the opportunity to fulfill their fullest potential. Opening doors is a Jewish virtue. As we contemplate what it means to begin again this year, this is an important time to think about the doors that we have the power to open for other people. What doors are shutting people out of accessing their own potential? And how can we remove those blockages? And what is the personal and communal lift we get in opening the doors for others? Conversely, what would the negative consequences be if we chose to not welcome people in? The book of Genesis warns us about what happens when we shut folks out. The story of Noah is one where he had to build an ark and only allow his family and two of every animal on board. Everyone else was shut out. Can you imagine the trauma that he must have suffered? knowingly dooming literally every other human being and land roaming animal on the planet to death? 
It's no wonder that the Torah shows that after the floodwaters receded, Vaita Karam Vayisht Min Hayayan, Noah planted a vineyard and soon began to drink heavily in the days after the flood. When we lock people out of the potential life that they would have otherwise had, not only is that damaging to them, but it's also de devastating to us. At least it should be heartbreaking to think that another human being's potential was stifled because of our actions or that their downfall was somehow by our own hand. Rather, we should lift people up into the fullness of who they are by opening doors for them. Tradition tells us every Passover that we are to open doors. We open doors to the poor and the stranger to eat with us. When we stand up and hold a piece of matzah and state, Halachma Anya, this is the bread of affliction that our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. All those who are hungry, let them enter and eat. We are supposed to open doors, these doors of our own homes, the places over which we have dominion and welcome people in. Toward the end of the Seder, in a profound act affirming the way the world should and could be, we also open the door for Elijah. If you're not familiar with the theological significance of Elijah, he was the symbol of the ancient world, of the heralding in of the final day at the end of time when the whole world would be perfect. The idea here is that opening the door for him on Passover helps open the door to our collective perfect future. It is in opening doors that we open ourselves up for a blissful and perfect existence. Tradition also says that we don't know exactly what Elijah looks like. Therefore, opening the door to anyone we encounter may very well be the key to unlocking this perfect era. On this most sacred day of the year, may we all be inspired by Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai and Rabbi Sally Prezand and their ability to not only open doors, but to also hold them open for countless others. May this motivate us to introspect on the immense value to ourselves and society when doors are open for all. And may we each resolve to open every door that we hold the keys to for others. And may these actions bring us all closer to the unlocking of a more perfect era. Ken Yehi May it be God's will. Amen.